Good morning, loves, and welcome to the Self-Healing Podcast, a podcast helping you thrive through your healing journey. I am Lue, and I'm your guide through this journey. Follow me on Instagram on L-L-A-L-A-L-O-E to get daily affirmations, meditations, DIYs, body positivity, and so much more. This episode is going to be all about trauma downloads. I hear it's calling again life to my face. Have you guys ever listened to the podcast What Happened to You by Sebastian Scales? I think it might be the best podcast I have ever listened to. And if you have been through something traumatic or just want to listen to an amazing podcast, go ahead and listen to What Happened to You by Sebastian Scales. In short, the podcast is Sebastian Scales interviewing slash leaving the stage to people who get to talk about their experiences, their healing journey and all it taught them. In short... They are telling the story of what happened to them. And to understand today's episode, listening to the first episode of that podcast is a great start. Anyways, the podcast What Happened to You by Sebastian Scales has been crucial in my journey and is the whole reason for my trauma download. So, Sebastian Scales, thank you. Okay, here we go. Welcome to What Happened to Me. Half a year ago, I found the What Happened to You podcast and I thought, great, this can help me in treating my PTSD from Anna's suicide attempt. But it ended up giving me a whole lot more than help treating that. I listened to it almost daily while painting or creating stuff from November 2021 to the start of December. And I kind of had a feeling that something wanted to come forward. That something was going on, internally. A restlessness in my body every time I listened to the podcast. And there was this episode where they talked about a guy completely repressing his childhood trauma. Like, all of it was completely black. And one time he was really anxious without being sure why and got a knife from the kitchen that he just kept in his room if he wanted to kill himself later on. He also spoke about how his repressed trauma came forward as a trauma download when he was alone at his house listening to music one day. And I was getting really unsettled. I had to pause like every five minutes because I was feeling all of the emotions. I was in the stage he was describing when listening to music before the trauma download. I knew that something was coming. My mind was racing and I started thinking back to when I was 13 and had just gotten my first fail grade on a math test. Out of nowhere, I just switched into getting this deep anxiety and how I solved the situation was lying down in the snow, deciding that I would lay there until I died, because I thought that that was what I had to do. 
And freezing to death felt like kind of a good way to die if I had to die. I laid there for a couple of hours and woke up from being really hungry and cold, so I went home and, as usual, told no one. So I'm sitting there, ten years later, listening to the podcast and it's just like, why the hell did I do that? I wasn't suicidal at all, so why was I reacting in such an overdramatic way to a failed math test? It's not like my parents would be angry with me for failing, so what was so scary at the time that I thought that I had to die to get away from it? It doesn't check out. I'm clearly missing something here. But when asking my body what was up, it answered dyslexia. Like, what is going on? Dyslexia. What? Dyslexia. But why and how is that relevant? Dyslexia. Okay. In relation to this memory, there was also another one craving my attention. A couple of weeks before the dying in the snow incident, I was with my father at a grocery store and we met an old teacher that I had from 3rd to 5th grade in elementary school and he said, and I quote, I just wanted to let you know that she is gone now. He looked me deep in the eyes and then looked deep into my father's eyes while nodding to really get the message through. My father didn't get the message, but I froze and forgot both how to breathe and how to get my heart to beat. That was the first time I was reminded of my trauma since it happened. And the dying in the snow incident was deeply connected to that. So, I did a deep dive on the internet rabbit hole of PTSD and traumas, and it turns out that the reaction that both me and the guy with the knife in the podcast episode had is the most common reaction for suicide and suicide attempts in kids and young teens. What happens when you have experienced trauma severe enough for your body to repress it enough for you to forget it altogether is that when it comes to the surface, you won't be able to handle it if you're not old enough yet, resulting in you technically trying to commit suicide in one way or another. That is also why the body represses it altogether, as it has to until you are old enough to survive a trauma download. Up to the age of 15 you are not equipped for that emotionally or mentally, so repressing it until you forget that it ever happened completely is the only way for the body to make sure to keep you alive until your late teens as the younger human body can't be provided with that information without completely freaking out and losing its shit. If you tried to die in one way or another before the age of 15, that is most likely what happened to you. You probably had a glimpse of a trauma download. And for that reason, I think that this should be widely spoken about. Most kids that commit suicide doesn't want to die. They are just getting a trauma download way too soon for their bodies to find any other solutions to the drastic changes in the body's hormones. So providing parents and kids with this information could be crucial. I didn't want to die. I was a happy kid. 
I was a happy teenager and 7th grade was my best one yet, so there really was no reason for me to want to die. I just had a trauma download triggered way too soon. Luckily, I just chose the snow and decided to go home. <laughs> Laying in the snow didn't work as I thought it would. This weird incident, in combination with the memory of my teacher telling us that she is gone in the grocery store and realizing that I almost had no memories from the ages of 8 and 9, was really unsettling. I knew people who had blanks all through their childhood due to repressed trauma, but I never thought that it was the same thing that caused the black spots in my memory. Anyways, I continued listening until I just couldn't anymore and then I called a friend that I thought could have gone through a trauma download himself, but he wasn't answering. By now I had kind of accepted that this was happening. I was having a full-blown trauma download, whatever that meant. Then I called my best friend and wow, she guided me through the whole thing. And here I just want to say that I felt really alone and like I had to talk to someone. If you feel like you can't be alone during a trauma download, that is really common and calling someone is a good idea. If you feel like no one would get it, call a hotline. They will know what to do and how to guide you. You don't have to do this alone. I want to explain every step of how the trauma download was for me, because if anything is the same as it is for you, then that can be really helpful. At the beginning of talking to my best friend, I was shivering, shaking, sweating. I was all over the place physically, but my mind was all calm. She asked me to describe how it felt, and the best description is that it felt like I was standing on a glass floor, with clear skies and clear air over me and around me, and with a stormy sea underneath my feet. Like a tsunami flooding, crashing against the glass floor. My mind was completely calm, completely at peace with what was happening. Like... Now is the time. Let's do this. And my body was a complete mess. Have you seen the red bird in Donald Duck? My body was really vibing with that bird and with running in circles and being all upside down and stuff. Then she asked me to tell her what I was seeing. I said every new thing that came up. In moments it was all too overwhelming, but I just tried to keep describing what I saw. First I saw a door handle appearing out of the white nothingness in my mind, then back to nothing. Door handle, nothing. Someone pressing down the door handle, nothing. Then I saw little me and nothing. Little me walking the hallway towards the dining hall, nothing. Some of the kids in my class walking like five steps behind me in their nervous faces. Nothing. My reading teacher walking in front of me. Nothing. And the whole picture together. Little me walking the hallway towards the dining hall with some of the kids from our class with nervous faces walking a couple of meters behind me and my teacher walking in front of me. She stops at a big green door close to the nurse's office and the teacher's lounge. I am scared. And then I hear it click. 
as I am experiencing, I am trying to tell my best friend what I am experiencing. And as I hear the click, I am starting to cry. Because not only did I know that this was the start of my trauma, but also that this click has been the start of every anxiety and panic attack that I have had since that day. It always starts with a sequence of the click of the door and then my reading teacher's voice telling me that I am worthless, that there is no meaning to my life and that I am no good for anything. Like a sampled recording that starts playing every time I get anxiety. One of my three grandfathers worked as a hypnotherapist. And I once asked him to help me work through my feelings towards my dyslexia and my reading teacher. Because I knew that the voice was hers. He asked me to do the same thing that my best friend told me to do now. In short, he made sure that I was calm and breathing correctly. And then he asked me to describe everything about the day that she said it. And I did. His questions guided me to remembering the whole thing, and after that, the recording of her voice left my panic attacks. I am so thankful for that help, and I know that he would be really proud of me, and for knowing that him guiding me through hypnotherapy to dissolve the power her words had over me also now led me to dissolving my trauma altogether if he was alive today. Back to the download. Okay, so the click never left, and in this moment, I finally understand what the click came from. The click is her unlocking the green door. And when this finally starts to make sense, I feel this rush, this intense rush all through my body. And it felt like a big, finally. Then she opens the door and grabs my arm really tightly. Her nails in my wrist suddenly makes me understand how mortal I am, for the first time. That she is so much bigger and stronger than me, and that she could kill me if she wanted to. Suddenly, why I hate people, shoes or anything really touching my sentence makes sense. I got really weak in my entire body and my legs felt like jelly, And when something is touching my sentence since then, I get the same reaction. Like I literally feel sick and want to throw up. I've always wondered where that came from. Then she drags me into the room and says something like, This is how it goes when you can't read well enough. Closes the door and locks it in front of me. The last thing I see is my classmates' scared faces in the door before everything is black. The room is a conference room and I manage to see that there is a small library at the far end with a wall towards this room, where the upper part is made out of glass and there is an open door towards the room I am in now. In the middle of the room there is an oval table with six chairs. None of the rooms has any windows, so when she closed the door, everything got completely dark. The only tiny light in the room comes from the space underneath the door. Besides where the door is, I see nothing. 
I get my first anxiety attack ever. I crawl over the floor and find a wall and just sit there, rocking, crying, hyperventilating for maybe 15 minutes. When it cools down, I feel something dripping in my eyes and the only thing I had ever felt dripping was when I had a nosebleed, so I thought I was bleeding. Kids don't sweat that much, so that wasn't my logical answer, but knowing the effects of a severe anxiety attack on my body, of course it was sweat. And the palm of my hand got all wet when I was stroking my forehead. After calming down, I remembered that there was a table that I could hide under. I crawled towards the table and found a chair that I pulled out and then I crawled underneath the table. I had watched Lord of the Rings a while before this and my 8 year old self was really worried about the possibility of there being orcs in the library because it was all dark. I sat underneath the table trying to just take long deep breaths guiding myself through each second until I heard steps outside the door and it was unlocked and opened. I stayed completely still because I didn't want her to find me. She closed the door, locked it again and left. I guessed that she thought that I had escaped or something, but how is really unclear as there was no windows. Then I started to panic, so I threw myself from out under the table, scraped my knee open on the plastic floor and started banging on the door and screaming because I was so scared of being left in the dark room again. She immediately opened the door again, grabbed my arm really harshly. I remember it hurting and roared at me to stay quiet. She took me back to our classroom, and I saw the clock showing 11. I went into the classroom, all teary-eyed, and sat down for only a couple of minutes before class ended. After class, my main teacher came out to the hallways and took my hands. She sat down on her knees in front of me and asked me if something happened and told me that I could tell her anything. And I really wanted to, but I didn't know how to say what had just happened. I saw that she was really concerned, and I was also not a kid that cried often, so she knew that something real was up. I decided to try to tell her when school ended for the summer. I think that this was maybe March or the beginning of April when I got locked in for the first time out of maybe five times. So it was only two or three months until summer break. I didn't want to tell her and then have to go back and meet the reading teacher. But anyways, I loved my main teacher and I really wanted to tell her right away. I just... I just didn't have the words to. And as Sebastian Scales and a lot of the people telling their stories on the podcast says, a kid doesn't really know how it is okay to be treated, especially not when it comes to how it is okay to be treated by an adult. I didn't really know if she had in fact treated me badly in the eyes of other adults, or if I was supposed to stop crying and accept her touching me harshly and locking me into dark rooms for long periods of time. And that is why it is so important to speak to kids about this. As they have learned to trust adults, they need to know that adults can also be wrong, adults can also be abusive, adults can also take advantage of you, and you need to know that you can speak up safely. Then my best friend asked me why I didn't tell my parents. Blank. 
yelling voices, blank. My childhood circus sheets, blank. My father sitting on my bed stroking my hair. I didn't tell them because they had a big fight the night before and when I asked my father if they were getting a divorce, he said that one can never know. And that made it worse, of course. So the day after in school when we had our reading group, I had a really hard time focusing. I was just thinking about how scared I was that they wanted to divorce each other. And they had had fights before about this reading group. They put me here to help me, but when I didn't want to go there anymore, my mother said that I didn't have to, and my father said that I should stay. They had a couple of fights about this, so if I told them, I was scared that they would most definitely get a divorce, as I thought them knowing would make it worse. When I got to this point in the trauma download, the memories were flooding in. So I had to hang up and call another friend, who was in the group as well for a while. So anyways, my parents' potential divorce was where my mind was at that day. The friend I called reminded me that the teacher had this list with black and red dots. Three dots and you get a punishment. It looked like a Sudoku or Jatsi maybe. She said, three strikes. Like strikes in English, and I never really knew why, but I got the context anyways. The day I got locked in for the first time was the day after my parents' fight, so my mind being elsewhere got me to three strikes for the first time. The first two strikes was things like having to stand in the corner completely still for long periods of time, making our reading worse when we were finally allowed to sit again, as staying completely still takes a lot of energy. And if you moved, you could easily get to three strikes, so that was a no-go zone. It could also be being hit with a wooden stick, or a ruler over the neck, hands, finger, wrists, arms, thighs, knees, or lower legs. I remember getting smacked over the arms, hands and neck the most, but sometimes the thighs. Punishments for the third strike or dot were things like getting locked into a dark room. I don't know how long the other kids were there, but when she took me to the room to lock me in the first time, I saw the watch on the wall showing 10-10, so that means that I was in there for 45 minutes at least. As she made me out to be an example of how it goes when you can't read well enough, as she said when she locked me in in front of the other kids, this time could have been longer just for show. But the other times it happened to me, I think it was kind of the same length. Anyways, all periods of time feels like hours for a young kid. And that is how it felt. Realistically, I thought that I was there for like 45 minutes, which I was, but for me it felt like 3 hours at least. When everything is completely black, it also makes it feel like the time is passing by slower, because you can't really look at anything to distract your mind. One of the things that I did after having my trauma download was 1. Call the people that I knew I had seen being abused by the teacher and then tell them everything I could remember. No matter how weird it felt. Especially since not speaking to them since 5th grade. Well, 
We do what we have to do, and if I could walk around for 15 years without knowing what the heck happened to me, then that is most likely still the case today for most of the people in the group, so yeah. Sometimes we just have to be bigger humans than we can manage, just because we have to. Together, some of the former kids of the group that I contacted has placed a lot of the pieces together regarding what happened and how it happened, and I am really thankful for that. Some of the parts that we together have puzzled together is that she often said that she was deeply unhappy and lonely. In fact, she said that she was miserable. When we were being so-called flushed, that probably sometimes happened in the toilet. I will get back to this later. Her go-to phrases were, you are worthless, slash not worth anything. Your life doesn't have any meaning. You won't ever become anything. You can't do anything. And you don't have any capacity. And that, my friends, is also why my first single to be released has the name Capacity. Chills, right? Because it turns out I had plenty. Something extremely interesting is that all the people that stayed in the group the longest are highly sensitives. I'm just going to give you a second to digest that. Why? Because we were kind, trusting, forgiving and loving. We let her treat us horribly because we felt sorry for her. We took her being miserable as an excuse for her abusing us. Because we got that she was most likely abused herself. Yeah, so that is that. Two, sign up for online therapy because I wanted to do it right this time. I felt like I am done doing it all on my own. I was just ready to talk. I told the therapist everything. I had two sessions with the therapist and he ended session number two with saying that it seems like I've got it all under control and that I'm doing a very successful job of being my own therapist and that it seems like I know all that I need to know to get through this in a peaceful way. So it ended with two sessions. I felt like I needed input though, but he was right. It all happened really smoothly while using all of the self-help techniques that I've learned since starting to heal. After the download, I felt like now I know a third of it. And after a few smaller downloads the following months, I now feel like I know about half of it. Through this thing, I have been really careful with myself. Really working on responding rather than reacting. Trusting what my body and mind wants to show me. Opening up for the memories coming back rather than continuing to repress them. Observing my feelings and how they move through me. And treat my inner child as well as all of the other versions of myself that have had to heal from the traumas of all of this with respect, understanding and kindness. If you are here right now, be easy on yourself. 
the only reason your body is bringing this forward, bringing this to your attention, is that it has to, and that means that it needs to be able to trust you with that information. You need to be there for yourself and your body in this matter. Your mind has to keep calm and kind for this process to be successful and peaceful. Otherwise, it will be a horrible experience. So remember that you have a choice in how you deal with your download. Take every moment with calmness and observe how it comes to you. 3. I told my parents immediately after the download calmed down. It went well. They both wished that they had known or seen the signs and I am really glad that that is the way they took it. Back to the flushing. Another punishment was that the kids were coming back all wet in the hair after the third strike. We call it flushed. At first I couldn't remember having been flushed. I had a trauma download at the beginning of December and it wasn't until January I started to remember those parts. At least one time, she grabbed me by the neck and took me to another classroom slash leisure room with a tap and a small kitchen. She grabbed me by the hair and pulled my head underneath the tap and flushed my head. I like water, so I was kind of calm. I was a really easy child and never said no as well. I just did what I was told, and the easier I made it for her to punish me, the faster it would be over. When she noticed that I wasn't that bothered, she set the tap to ice-cold water, and then I was, of course, bothered. So yeah, I got flushed. I don't think that I was one of the kids that was ever flushed in the toilet, though. Yay. It's now May, and the other week I got another small download. In the beginning, right after the trauma download, they were happening all the time. Like, boom, her smell. Boom, the texture of her favorite cardigan. Boom, one of my classmates, all wet and scared. Boom, hurting knuckles from being hit with a stick or a ruler. But they come more seldom now. Suddenly, I remembered that I had been naked standing on the toilet and I couldn't understand why. I just sat with it though, as I did when I had the first download, letting it have its process. And yeah, one of the punishments was having to be naked locked into the toilet. I think that this happened maybe three to seven times. Obviously, I disassociated during most of the punishments. I remember that the naked toilet punishment happened three times, but I also feel like this happened on a regular basis. I have a bad feeling every time I'm on a public toilet. I'm just like, I have to be quick, otherwise that guy from my class in third grade might lock the door open and tell everyone in class that he saw me naked. What? What? I'm 24, I haven't been in his class since I was 12, and I also have clothes on. Like, what? Where is this coming from? It is coming from being locked into the bathroom and being stripped naked. Well, now I at least know that and may be able to stop thinking about the guy from my elementary class every single time I'm at a public restroom.
So anyways, what she did was take me into the toilet and she started to undress me. I did not approve of that, so I undressed myself really fast because I didn't at all like feeling her breath, her hair, her cardigan or her hands on my body. I was like, hell no, I'ma do it myself. She did not like me doing it myself though. That made her really irritated. And then I had to stand completely naked on the toilet seat with my clothes hanging on a hook by the door. I was not allowed to move until she got back. It usually took 15 to 20 minutes before she did, so I guess that that was how I spent my breaks as a kid. Yay. I have been wondering why I didn't just get dressed and leave, and now I remember that I once found one of the other kids in the group locked in one time, and he asked me for help, so I went to get the key from another one of my teachers. The one who told me that I could tell her anything. We weren't allowed to touch the teacher's keys, but he couldn't open the door from within and I had to get the key to get him out. She saw me go get a chair, climb up and take it off a hook in the empty classroom where it was usually hanging, but she nodded, as if she was trusting me. Wow, that teacher was great. So that is why I didn't just leave. When the door was locked from the outside, you couldn't open it from the inside. Why was the worst part of it for me that the guy from my class could see me naked and tell everyone? Why wasn't getting undressed against my will by someone who abused me worse? I think it was because I was an extremely naked kid. We often went to naked beaches and sunbathed naked on our own terrace at our summer house. Besides, I was often bathing naked in the sea, as everyone was, on the island I lived on during the summers. Being naked was not a threat, really. I had learned that being naked was being free, and that that was completely natural. So that was great. If I wasn't often naked, being stripped like that could have caused some serious trauma. I also think that it was less scary as the teacher was a woman. I was getting dressed and undressed by my female relatives while being at the pool and stuff often, so that was also kind of familiar. I think that I in fact would have perceived it as worse if I was being stripped by a man. So I guess that it was worse for the boys. During all of this time, I felt like something really bad was going on, that I didn't quite understand or had any words for yet. I wanted to tell someone, but I didn't know how to tell them, as I didn't know what was happening or why it was in fact bad. Now I know that what I felt and saw was signs of sexual abuse. I don't think that I have personally been sexually abused by her, because I always knew that some of the other kids had it worse, even if I couldn't explain how. But who knows, a couple of months ago I thought that I never got flushed, but I definitely got flushed. And before that, I didn't even know that I had repressed memories. So only time will tell. I know that I only remember half of it right now, so if even worse things comes up in the future, I am at least prepared. 
I guess by now you're wondering if anybody knew. I think a lot of people saw signs that were hard to connect. One year, after first being locked into the conference room, I happened to have one of those yearly talks about the kids' development with my parents and the teacher in the exact same conference room. The last time I was locked into that room was maybe December in third grade, and the meeting was in April third grade. So in four months, I had completely repressed the memory of everything that happened in there. I had clues, but I couldn't remember. During the meeting, I was completely disassociated, and after my mother asked me if I didn't like the room or if something had happened in there, I think it was clues like that. Like, why couldn't my parents say the word dyslexia without me going straight into a combination between extreme denial, panic and anxiety attack, slash all of the fight, flight and fawn modes? I was clearly scared to death by that word. Why did I get really scared of the dark when I was eight? Why was I dreading the teacher so badly? And why was it so important for me to not have to go to her classes anymore? Stuff like that. I think it was a lot of random clues for the people at school too. But no one talked about it. But the most prominent one should have been, why did all of the kids in her class want to quit? Hmm. It should say something to the board, shouldn't it? But no one talked about it. We in the group didn't even talk about it. I often asked if a person was okay after getting abused in one way or another, and they appreciated that most often, but being asked will also make the feelings of the abuse continue. It is easier to just leave it behind you the second you get out of there. My favorite teacher definitely had a feeling that something was not right. We had a support teacher in our class as well for a year and he definitely knew that something was up too. He was always checking in with us during the reading classes and asked, is everything slash everyone okay in here? And looked every single kid in the eye and they had to nod yes, otherwise he would stay with the group for a while. And the reading teacher hated it. I think she even tried to get him fired. She said she would multiple times. Since remembering again, I have been thinking about writing to him many, many times to say thank you. There was also this one time where the principal went through the reading group's room to another room on the other side. And when she saw that we were sitting there all stiff and quiet without the teacher, she asked us where the teacher was. She was obviously away punishing someone because in a couple of minutes she would return with a boy with all wet hair. Anyways, we didn't have any answer, so the other boy sitting there really gathered his courage and said, She is not kind. The principal got a little shaken, so I came to the boy's rescue by saying, She says and does mean things to us. And then the principal says that she is just here to speak to another teacher, so she walks over to the other room. That's it. When she comes back, she stops by us and says, Well, I for one think that strict teachers are good. 
And then she leaves and walks towards her office and that was that. Another time, one of my friends told the teacher that the principal wanted to speak to the same thing. That she was really mean to us and that he didn't want to go to our classes because of that. The teacher immediately said that he will be going to the principal's office to speak to her. When he came back, his face was red and he was really irritated and told us that he couldn't tell us what happened, but that he for one doesn't like strict teachers at all. Other than that, I don't think anybody knew, but then again, she had a lot of classes with a lot of kids. The moment I didn't have her anymore, I repressed it the best I could to just try to move forward and never looking back. By ninth grade, I could say the word dyslexia without all of the reactions that I had during the abuse. By the age of 18, I was proud of all my achievements because I had really proven that I, in fact, had enormous capacity. As I was working my ass off and getting almost straight A's while still having dyslexia. By 23, I knew that dyslexia is one of my greatest superpowers and one of my biggest assets. The small glimpse of the collateral beauty in all of it is that I had just moved into a new space when the trauma download came. Eight-year-old me waited to tell me this until I was in a safe place for the first time in my life. It waited until I reached safety. I've always felt like all of my past selves have been good at communicating their wants and needs and have been kind of active in having opinions on my choices. Five-year-old me would have loved the style I had at 15 because she saw a girl once that looked like me with a really cool jean jacket and she wanted to look like that at 15, so she did. Nine-year-old me would have been so extremely proud of my grades because it was she who really decided that I was going to become a surgeon. She has been cheering me on ever since. 12-year-old me loves my views on politics, body positivity, dating and love. She adores seeing her older self be this empowered, free, wild nature's force of a woman who has also now decided to empower others. 16-year-old me would be proud of all my travels and adventures, of all of the festivals and all the cool stuff that we have seen and crossed off her bucket list. 22-year-old me is immensely happy about where 24-year-old me is at. But 8-year-old me... 8-year-old me hasn't spoken since the first time she got locked in. She has been sitting in a corner quiet for 15 years. Until I moved into my new space, until I was in a safe and peaceful stage. Then she reached out with her arms towards me. I took her hands and she showed me everything that she had to bear all on her own. That she had been shielding me from for 15 years. She showed me what happened to us and what we survived. She was the one protecting me all along.
That is by far the strongest experience I have had in all my life. I have been craving connections for all my life and when this happened I finally found the connection I was longing for, searching for and striving for, in for the first time really connecting with myself. Because for the first time I knew my whole story. I thought my eight-year-old self was kind of opinionless, dull and quiet. It turns out that she was the most determined, strong and self-sacrificing warrior of all my past selves. And she deserves all of my respect because she is the one who got me here. Of all of the versions of me, she was the one that needed my love the most all along and she got the least of it. But she stayed strong, hiding away, until I was ready to hear and see what she had to tell and show me all of these years. Like, wow! I really wish for you to have this experience. My trauma download is truly one of the coolest and most important things that has ever happened to me. And I am colossally grateful for finally remembering. For finally being able to get this off my chest. For finally being able to heal. (sighs) I needed to know this. And I have been needing to know this for a long time. Now I get where the click came from. Where the fear of darkness and the fear of people touching my sentence came from. Why I hated my dyslexia and why I have been so immensely hard on myself. Now I get why I got so sick in so many eating disorders, because by eight I was completely stripped of my own control. I had to control something. And not only that, but also get an outlet for all of the psychological abuse. And most important of all, I am free. I feel sorry for her. She probably went through hell growing up. I wish that that meant that she chose to fight for kids like herself and not continue abusing them. But it is what it is. And I, however, am strong enough to make sure that the trauma that was inflicted on her and then on me ends with me. She doesn't have any control or power over me anymore. And that is exactly what I understood when the teacher in the grocery store told me that she was gone. As I only by 13 remembered that I hated her for what she did to us and the things she said, but remembered none of the physical abuse, I understood that I was free, but at the same time stuck with all of the needles that she had put into my heart. I then knew that I had to work through all of the rest on my own, and no more weight of the abuse would be lifted off my shoulders. She was gone, that was it. And I still didn't know why I was so burdened because I had repressed all of it. So besides that I completely stopped breathing and had trouble remembering how to get my heart to beat, this was also my first time remembering the psychological abuse in two years. And that is how the first trauma download, resulting in the trying to die in the snow incident, was triggered. 
A couple of days later, there was this rumor spreading through the schools that she was fired for psychological abuse, but that the school board said that she was retiring as that was easier for the school. And I forgot how to breathe every time someone mentioned it. I do think I know which kid brought this to the school's attention though. Thank God for him doing that. So that is as good of an ending as we will get here. The most important thing for me is that she won't be working with kids ever again. I still don't know all that happened. But knowing this much really gives me respect for myself and the person that little kid chose to become. Even if parts are missing and I have a lot more trauma downloading to do, I am still so grateful for having been through a trauma download to begin with. I feel a change in my body. It is lighter, less burdened. I feel complete in a sense that I didn't before knowing all of this. I feel like I can really take deep breaths and for the first time since early childhood my body feels completely aligned at times. I feel free. I feel reborn. I feel humbled by the colossal capacity of our bodies and minds to protect us and take care of us. Knowing is proving to be way better than not knowing for sure. And I trust the timeline and timing of this. I know that I won't remember all of it until I own my own house and feel completely safe with that I have everything under control. Then my eight and nine-year-old selves might be ready to tell me the rest. The whole story and how it affected me and still is affecting me to this day. And whenever it chooses to come, I am ready and grateful for their bravery. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you have a great day. If you ever find yourself in a trauma download, remember to not try to dive under the wave of the emotions. Instead, ride it. Surf it. Let it take you where you are going. And remember to breathe and let yourself feel all of the emotions and sensations and trust your body. It knows what it is doing. And most of all, remember that it is worth it. Now it is time for me to give you the stage and the mic. Now is my time to ask, what happened to you?